so good to hear from Mitchell, and I was just thinking back on just over a year ago, Isla and I got to be in uh, y'all's home in Scotland, spending time with with Isabel and, and uh, enjoying her warmth and just very deep person spiritually. So she will be missed, um, but what a aroma of Christ she leaves and uh, has touched so many of us, and we're grateful for, for the work that continues in Scotland. Bulletin, sorry? Yeah, turn it up a little bit. Turn it up, 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 turn it up, up, up. I'm on fire. Okay. Anyway. Like that, John Scott? No. Okay. Leave the singing to John Scott, not the preacher. You can follow along in the bulletin this morning or on Version. Uh, there is a lot of information in the bulletin today, back uh, cover inside, about uh, deacons. We've been going through a process partnering with God to call out some additional deacons. You see a bunch of names in there, lots of information. You can read that and figure out what to do there. Brett Winters is another name that should be on that list, so Brett Winters should be on there as well. Uh, Glad you're here. Week two in the Take It In series. Last week we talked about God is holy exclusively. He's the only one who can truthfully say, I am holy. Thank God for Jesus Christ that he has given us the holiness of Christ, the righteousness of Christ through that sacrifice of love at Calvary. Today, we will explore a second thing that is true of God and God alone, uh, or at least He is the source of it, and that is wisdom. And so you can write this down on the outline as we get started this morning. It is, according to the Bible, God is the only one who is truly wise. Everything else pales in comparison to the wisdom of God. Romans chapter 16, verse 27, proclaims that God is the only wise God. And then Paul, in writing to a group of Christians in Corinth, much like us, he writes, for the foolishness, think about this one, for the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. So, I don't know. I kind of read that and thought about some kind of maybe a linear graph of wisdom. You know, God's wisdom, man's wisdom. And we, in our wisdom, still fall in the foolishness category compared to God. I mean, even our, our great, wise people, the Maya Angelus, the Socrateses of history, Abraham Lincoln, you know, Yoda, the wisest that we can imagine, it, pairs, it pales in comparison to, to God. Um, he is the source of wisdom. The Hebrew word there is sakal for wisdom, which means expert living or skillful living. Now, the good news is this. God loves you, and God wants to share his wisdom with you. He doesn't want to just keep it for himself. He wants to equip you to be a person of wisdom, to be a person who makes good choices in life. And, and blesses others with those choices. Well, fleshing this idea out a little bit. By the way, I'll just, I'll just preface. It's a hard word to define, okay? But here's my best shot. Wisdom marries a knowledge of what is true and right with discerning action. Okay, so the wise person does act and puts that together in a lifestyle of good choices 
that bless them and others. A wise person knows the apt word to say at the right moment. The wise person knows when the right thing to do is break a rule. The wise person knows the exception to every rule. The wise person knows when and how to improvise. The wise person knows how to make that painful or unpleasant choice today that will lead to good things later on. Um, The wise person, well, the wise woman knows that the more you try to impress people, the less impressed they will be. The wise man knows that the more you fail, the more likely you are to succeed at some point in the future. The wise husband understands that when his wife says, what? She's not saying that because she didn't hear him, but she's giving him a chance to change what he just said. Okay? (laughs) The wise husband understands that. Wisdom involves knowledge, but you don't have to be particularly intelligent to be a wise person. Because wisdom also involves experience, and it also involves discernment, judgment, and putting all of that together. So yeah, God is wise. Um, Start with the knowledge category. He is the architect of the universe. He knows everything about everything. He knows every detail about every atom in the universe. Jesus said at one point to express not only this knowledge, but this care he has for us, that Jesus has the hairs on your head numbered. God knows. He's really the only true know-it-all in the universe. So that's a big part of his wisdom. Experience, well, we get, I don't know, we get six, eight decades of wisdom if we're lucky enough to live that long on life. God has existed for billions of years Uh, and infinitely more than that. So he has the experience advantage, if you will. Um, God, in terms of his judgment and discernment, he always makes the right call. He never messes up. So he is the source of wisdom, as, as the Bible proclaims, the one and true wise God. And the good news, again, is he shares that with us. So we go to the book in the Bible that is the book of wisdom. There's a lot of wisdom in other places of the Bible, but the book of Proverbs is that book that is all about you living better. Okay? You planning better. You doing friendship and finance better. You doing life better. So here we go. Verses 1 to 7 in the book of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, for attaining wisdom and discipline. For understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Hmm. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding Proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. And then this one. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. The beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and discipline. So we've got this text to help us become better decision makers. To help us become 
wiser in our lives. And a very basic principle, if you pay attention to that, a very basic principle here is that wisdom is bred, not born. It's not like some people are just, well, they're born wise. No. The text tells us very clearly it is something that is developed. It is something that is matured. You must seek it, devote yourself to it, and grow in it. You are not born with it. So that starts us out on the outline this morning with this principle of learning. Wise people are learning. They are becoming wise. A wise person is made, not born. It's a process we see in the text. Like it tells us in verses 1 and 2 that uh, wisdom... It, it, it comes through Proverbs, and it is attained, okay? It tells us in verse 3, we are to seek the acquiring of a disciplined and prudent life, to, to build that in, um, giving prudence to the, to the simple, verse 4, adding to their learning, verse 5. So it is something that you are not born with. There is not a wise 10-month-old, all right? Uh, it is something you must acquire over time. If wisdom were something that some people were just lucky enough to be born with and others unlucky enough not, to, then you wouldn't need the Proverbs. You either have it or you don't have it. But it is not something you're born with. It is something you grow into if you are committed to it. If you want to become a wise person, even Jesus grew in wisdom. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature physically and in terms of his emotional growth and in favor with God and men. So learning. Wisdom is something you learn, you, you grow in. And it doesn't happen unless you, you want it. It doesn't happen unless you work for it. And a big part of this is this next thing on the outline, and it is listening. A wise person is not a closed system. I know what's best. I don't want to hear any other opinions. I will make my own decision. That's a foolish person. That's not a wise person. A wise person is open. Um, I grow in wisdom when I am influenced by mature mentors. Okay, Not just what I'm seeing pop up on Instagram or Twitter, but there are some wise voices that are able to speak into my life, and that's how I grow in this. The wise listen, verse 5, and the discerning get guidance. Something is breathing in from the outside, is influencing, is seasoning, is shaping this person. They are open to that. And I guess that's as good of a place as any to just point out, look, a wise person from time to time changes their mind. Okay? Their opinions change over time. Their decisions may get tweaked. They adapt because that's part of being wise. They're listening to counsel. They are hearing from trusted friends. They are getting guidance. And that means, yes, sometimes that decision or that choice or that direction will be confirmed. And sometimes they'll say, I don't think I was headed the right direction. I need to change my mind about that or change the way I'm, uh, the way I'm pursuing that end. Um, they don't operate as a closed system. The discerning get guidance. Um, so a good question. Do you have mentors? Not just friends, uh, but mentors. Older, wiser people who can speak into your life. You have some of those people. A better question is, 
Who, you know, who are those people that you call? And do you, in fact, reach out to them? It's not really a mentor if you're not reaching out to them from time to time and saying, help me out with this. This is what I'm thinking. Share your thoughts. So learning, listening. Those are part of growing in wisdom. Now, the next thing that we're going to talk about that's in the text is kind of a paradox. It's a bit of a head-scratcher, to be honest. It's that freedom... And happiness come through the choice that a wise person makes to intentionally limit themselves. Now stick with me on this. A wise person chooses limits. So we have limiting here. I make better choices when I discipline myself to exclude options that don't honor God and that don't help other people. Just right out of the gate... A wise person excludes that. They are less free, in a sense, because they're not going to choose things that dishonor God and that hurt the people around them. Imagine a lake, you know, Lake Ray Roberts around here, full of trout and fish. Um, Those fish are confined, limited by the shores of the lake. They will only know that small world, you know, 20, 30 acres of of water there. I suppose you could reason, we're going to make them freer. We're going to take away the limits. We're going to take away the confines. There's a big world out there that those fish should get to know, so you could catch them in a net, throw them up into the world. Throw them up on the bank. Are they freer? Only in some sort of macabre sense. They're going to be deader, (laughs) right? Um, I don't think that's a source of freedom. You see, people need those walls. They need those limits, or they won't be freer, and they won't be happier. That's the paradox. Now, this is why that sounds so crazy, because in America, nowadays, we believe broadly that the more choices you have, the happier you are automatically kind of more options more choices you are happier limits are bad limits confine you limits tamp down your joy but the truth is everybody needs those limits around them the absence of those limits is a recipe for misery and creates really paralysis Um, and if you shatter if you take away those confines then you begin to suffer. So the text that we read uses these words of limiting over and over again. A wise person is disciplined, disciplined, disciplined. A wise person is discerning, discerning, discerning. That means there are options that are not in their universe of choices. They are automatically excluded from the beginning because they are not good options. If an athlete is training for the Olympics... They know this reality. They limit. That's what discipline means. They're not going through Taco Bell three times a day, okay? They're probably not darkening the door of the donut shop. They're disciplined. Those are not in their world of choices because they want to grow, because they want to get stronger, they want to get faster. Um, So they intentionally limit their freedom there. Um, Their decision to remove options... Or potential choices leads to life and actually leads to freedom. That's the paradox. Um, Here's another one. Um, 
And this is really kind of what I was getting at there with that bullet point is Jesus once was asked, so what's the most important thing in the Bible? And you remember this probably. He said uh, two things. He said, everything else depends on these. Love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. So a wise person filters their choices through those filters. Does this love God? Does this honor God? Does this serve my neighbor? Does this help my neighbor? A a wise person then experiences through that greater freedom, uh, not less freedom, because they're limiting some of their choices through those filters. Let me give you an example here. Sex. Now I've got your attention, all right? You may have been tuned out, but I got you now. Sex. A few years back, the University of Chicago put on this massive study talked to all sorts of people, recorded all of their answers to a wide variety of questions about their sex lives. Now, one of the shocking findings, not shocking to believers, not shocking to people who understand that God invented sex and that God created marriage not to ruin it, but to protect it, Uh, but there were shocking results to some people who don't understand that, and one of the shocking results to them was that married people have more sex and better sex. Raised a lot of eyebrows, this study did. It's shocking because if you get on your Netflix today, if you go to the movie theater, or if you turn your radio on on the way home and listen to Top 40 music, that's not the reality that we are told, right? We are told, wait, it's it's the single people, it's the uninhibited people. It's the people without those confines, without those limits. The unattached people, they're the ones having all the fun. They're the ones having all the great sex. Simply not true. That's simply not true according to the research. The research found in that study that the people having the most sexual encounters and the most satisfying sexual encounters were those who were exclusive in their marriage relationship, exclusively having sex with their mate. Um, So limits. Interesting, right? The right limits help a wise person find freedom and find happiness by filtering their choices into life-giving ones. One more thing, and we just touched on it. It is leaning. Leaning into God. Remember the text. It finished with that word about um, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the starting blocks. If you want to run that race toward becoming a wiser person, fear of the Lord. And we've talked about that before. That means taking God seriously. Taking God seriously is the beginning for wisdom. If our God is the only wise God, if he is the source not only of holiness and love and beauty in the universe, but the source of wisdom and he loves me then I want to tie on to him I want to grow close to him because I know that's where I'm going to become a deeper wiser person Um, fear of the Lord taking God seriously the beginning place quickly four things as we finish out this morning that you and I can do to tie into God to lean into God the first is simply how about asking God help me with this God Give me wisdom to deal with this situation. Uh, I lean on God by asking for wisdom. James, the brother of Jesus, once said, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. In other words, 
Yeah, and it will be given to him. In other words, if you ask God for wisdom, he'll give you wisdom. He has it, and he wants for you to have it. So ask. Um, Basically, James is saying, God's got your back here. (laughs) I mean, he wants to help you. Reach out to him and ask him, help me make better decisions. I can see a track record, God, over the last two, five, ten years that hasn't been a track record of really making life-giving decisions. I find myself in the same place over and over again. God, help me. Help me. Um, The second thing is to recognize that he has already provided massive resources of guidance and discernment for you in the Bible. That word Bible comes from the Greek word biblion, meaning library. Um, It's a library of wisdom resources to help you make better choices and to become a better person. So I lean on God by taking his word seriously. Psalm 119.45, this gets us back to that paradox. Wait a second. The Bible, God, that's a bunch of rules. That's a bunch of limits. That's going to make me like all kind of handcuffed and, and not enjoying life at all. That's not David's experience at all. This is what he wrote. He said, for me, I will walk in freedom. For I have devoted myself to your commandments. Your word, David says, by my experience, it doesn't make me less free. It makes me more free. And that kind of gets us back to that fallacy of limiting uh, more choices is better, which is not really necessarily true. The second, or, or the next thing here is I lean on God. And this one is a little interesting for us because it's harder to pin down. I lean on God by being sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. The promptings of the Spirit. Um, All over Scripture, right? But Galatians says you are directed by the Spirit. Now, how does that work? I wish I could give you this morning five easy steps to being sensitive to the promptings of the Spirit. It doesn't work that way. The Spirit is a person. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Spirit is a person. And in a personal relationship, right, there is a dynamic. There is a spontaneity. There is a mystery in a relationship with a person. Jesus talked about this a little bit in John chapter 3. He's having this conversation with Nicodemus. And he says, look, the Spirit is, the Spirit is like the wind. In fact, that's literally how you can translate the holy wind of God. He said, the Spirit goes where the Spirit wants to go. There's an unpredictability in this. And a lot of us who are raised in church, in institutional religion, struggle with this a little bit. Wait, I want to know exactly how this works. You can't. Okay? You can't. Uh, It's a relationship. What I can tell you is the more you know the Lord, the deeper you walk with the Lord, the more this is going to help you. The more the Holy Spirit is going to lead you and and, and help you out. The more you you will find yourselves in situations with people in places where you're going to sense that the Spirit of God is, is telling you to do something. Or to say something, or oftentimes for me to not say something, to keep quiet. And that's a powerful thing. And yes, very biblical, right? Um, Simeon, old man who who was expecting the Messiah, 
at the beginning of the New Testament, it tells us in Luke 2.27, Simeon was moved by the Spirit to go to the temple where, where Joseph and Mary were there dedicating their child, Jesus, to God. Um, Jesus was, Luke 4.1, led by the Spirit into the desert. The Apostle Paul in Acts 20 was compelled by the Spirit um, to go to Jerusalem. So people being moved by the Spirit. I ran into a couple, this, this is last week, I ran into a couple from church out in an office building, and it turned into a pretty intense encounter. Um, a lot of hugging, a lot of crying, a lot of deep conversation. What's interesting is this impromptu meeting at this office building, um, the husband talked to me later, and, he, and, and I could tell something was going on there. Obviously, this conversation is not normal. Usually, you say, hey, how you doing? Um, but it was m- much more than that. Um, he said, you're not going to believe this, but as we pulled into the parking lot there, we talked about not about hoping we wouldn't see anybody from church. Just just can't handle that right now for what we're going through. So we went in this door thinking, if we go in this door, we're less likely to see anybody. Anyway, they go in that door, they turn a corner, boom, there we are. And I had no idea that the Holy Spirit was orchestrating all this, but the Holy Spirit was. I can't tell you much more than that um, to protect that, that family, but God works. The Spirit prompts if you pay attention. Now, let me say this, and maybe you can identify with this. My experience growing up in church, um, what I heard about the Holy Spirit, what I was taught about the Holy Spirit, was pretty much all about what the Holy Spirit doesn't do. What the Holy Spirit can't do. What the Holy Spirit won't do. Weird, right? Like if I'm introducing you to a friend of mine, like I'm introducing John Scott to someone. Um, oh, by the way, John Scott can't speak Latin. John Scott doesn't do handsprings. Uh, telling you, I mean, that's, not, that's no way to tell someone about a friend of yours. But as these, why, as these good people are telling me about the Holy Spirit as I'm growing up, it's all about this is what he, oh, you don't speak in tongues, the Holy Spirit doesn't do the tongue speaking thing anymore, and the Holy Spirit doesn't do this and doesn't do the other. It was the weirdest thing. And you add on to that, we're talking about, we're talking about God here. Very strange to talk about what God can't do or won't do or doesn't do. Right? Right? I'm not God. Let's just get this down. Look, if I can understand God, if I know how God works, my God is a very small God. I don't think that's the God of the Bible we're talking about. Be open to God. Be open to the Spirit moving and and speaking through you and using you and prompting you. And the deeper you go into knowing God, the more you will see that at work in your life. And there's mystery there. There just is. Be open to that mystery. Probably we need to do a series on this at some point in the future. So I'm already thinking that, that might be good to talk more about what does the Holy Spirit do? What's His role? But be open to the promptings of the Spirit. That's part of the way God will help you to make wise choices. And then finally, and this is where we need to end up as believers this morning, I lean on God by yielding to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
Jesus is God in the flesh. It's what we celebrate this time of year. Jesus coming. The Word becoming flesh. The wisdom of God becoming incarnate and living among us. As the Word says in 1 Corinthians 1.24, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So ultimately, we plug into God and His wisdom and His power when we plug into Christ. When we bring our lives under the protection and the freedom and the joy and the life of His Lordship. We were meant to live under the Lordship of Christ. We were designed, before we ever arrived into this world, we were designed to live and flourish under the Lordship of Christ. And so this morning, maybe you need to move yourself into that situation to proclaim Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. He did everything to bring you back to what God always intended for you to enjoy. There's a word called, uh, this word redeem in the Bible. He redeemed you. That means it's a commercial term, to buy back. He bought you back. He bought you back with his blood so that you could be in fellowship with a holy God who loves you so much. You could be baptized into Christ and begin that walk of discipleship with him. Or maybe this morning what you need to do is follow that advice of James. Ask. Ask God. Is there something keeping you up? Is there, is there something that's worrying you? Is there a tough decision or choice that you are facing? James says, bring God into that. He loves you. He's wise. Bring him in. Ask for his help. If you need prayers this morning, I'll be here to pray, or one of our shepherds, or someone around you, um, a friend or a small group, just pray over that. And invite God into that situation, that whatever it is that's worrying you, that's troubling you, that, that you need some clarification about. Let's, let's rise together, let's stand, and let's praise God together. You and-